As we examine how voter sentiment may potentially alter the landscape of Irish politics this weekend, what that sentiment boils down to is not just change, but a sort of radical change and a change that perhaps is directed towards what can be broadly described as the left or people looking to disrupt the establishment. Although we absolutely know the traditional binaries by which we measure and describe ideological spectrums of politics keep shifting and have changed a lot in recent years. There's one particular journalist who's, for me, is trademark speaking truth to power, interrogating corruption, uh, making politicians cower in fear, and more broadly, a journalist who is steered by a sense of equality, fairness and justice in Irish society. We knew that this was the man we wanted to be talking to this week about what is actually happening now in Irish society, the context, the causes and the potential outcome. We are delighted to welcome in studio Vincent Brown. Welcome, Vincent. Uh, thank you, but I, that introduction is, makes me cringe. <laughs> <laughs> because, Why? Oh, because it's so overstated. Oh. Anyway, come on. We'll continue on. <laughs> on, on that great st- with that great start in the bag, we'll continue on. Vincent, you once said or wrote or I read it somewhere that one of the problems with Irish politics is a lack of politics. Um, what I took from that, maybe I'm wrong, is that Irish politics does not tend to centre big ideas or issues or ideologies and instead just kind of bobs along that there's a lack of long-term thinking, a lack of accountability, corruption tends not to be addressed. Um, And politicians in the main parties tend to look and think like facsimiles of what's come before. The way this election is panning out feels different. It feels that um, a large cohort of the electorate aren't satisfied with that norm anymore that public sentiment is shifting and they're looking for something else. What do you think has brought us to this point? I'm not sure only if it was you that wrote this, but somebody did in the last while, that what seems to be happening is that represents a delayed uh, reaction to the austerity of the period from 2008 to 2015. And that is the only explanation that I find credible um, but why is, why was it so delayed I don't know hmm. um, let's talk about that for a second because I did write that, that piece in the Times my theory around that was that there was the, the essence of why Fine Gael is in power is because they happened to not be Fianna Fáil in 2011 and they managed to hold on to that to some degree yet their, you know, uh, election campaign to show everyone their fancy homework while the school is on fire is not really chiming with the electorate who are not seeing um, what they claim to be success, progress and prosperity. Um, And that disconnect has become their trademark, I suppose, their detachment from a sentiment of a public who aren't seeing the so-called recovery or or re-boom. Um, maybe um, I think Fianna Fáil have, or Fine Gael have some nerve complaining about what Fianna Fáil did to the country in the years up to 2008 because in every budget from 2002 onwards the only criticism that Fine Gael had of uh, Fianna Fáil budgets was that they didn't go far enough in other words they weren't even more reckless than they turned out to be uh, and the country had 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 the governments done what Fine Gael had advocated during that period, the crash, the crash would have been even more 
serious than it than it had been. And of course, the austerity that inevitably followed uh, was an austerity in which both parties, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, uh, were complicit. And now maybe the, the, uh, the chickens have come home to roost on that, and Sinn Féin is the, benef- uh, is the benef- benefits from that. But I think that, whereas a lot of people think that, it seems to think that Sinn Féin will make a huge difference, I think that's mistaken, unfortunately. And Sinn Féin was desperate to get into government with either Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael, which meant that they were happy to go into government, the main agenda of which would be a right-wing agenda. And that didn't seem to worry uh, Sinn Féin, and I can see why it does. It doesn't, wouldn't worry them, because... Although they professed a radical, uh, a radicalism, I think it's skin deep, and that they will be really no different to Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Do you think they might have learned from what happened with Labour, though, when Labour went in um, and were annihilated? Then afterwards, after propping up the right wing, the right centre, right, whatever governments, that then they came out and fell to the floor in the polls. Yeah, you think they would? (laughs) (laughs) You're right, wouldn't you think? Isn't it surprising that they wanted they want to go down the same road that Labour did, and and inevitably there'd be the same consequence. But it's true of the Green Party as well, and the Green Party desperate to get into government with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Even though the last time they did so, it was a disaster. The, uh, the coalition government with Fianna Fáil from uh, 2007 to, to, to 2011. And, uh, and in the 2011 um, election, the Greens were wiped out. And that they want to do it all over again is but just... But maybe with a leader like Mary Lou, who like, is quite a, a very strong leader going in, that it might be different? No, if they go in as a minority party in a coalition, inevitably the the agenda for that uh, for that government will be that of the major party. Now, when you look at the polls of yesterday or today and yesterday, it looks as though Sinn Fein would be the majority party, but there's no way that um, Sinn Fein won't. I don't think. I don't know. Sinn Féin will probably get maybe 30 seats or whatever. Mm. And I think that even at the worst, Fianna Gael will do better than that as Fianna Fáil will too. Mm. So they won't, in terms of seats, they they won't um, be the stronger party. And if they go into government by the Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, it's, it's the Fianna Fáil or the Fianna Gael agenda that will prevail. Um, I think it's fair to say that a lot of Irish party politics is viewed as quite centrist and there's this constant kind of narrative that you know we're quite lucky because we are a state have this uh, perceived stability that we don't swing wildly to the left or right as some of our more you know eccentric European neighbours let's say Um, and there is a perception that Sinn Féin represent a left or leftist uh, change and that the public sentiment shifting towards wanting something more left wing, quote unquote, that Sinn Féin are benefiting from that. But do you think that is embedded in their ideology and their outlook? In Sinn Féin's ideology? Uh, Like an egalitarian ideology? Yeah. No, absolutely not. Look, look at them in Northern Ireland. Look at the in the in the partial executive in Northern Ireland. They haven't done anything radically 
uh, left wing or radically promoting equality in Northern Ireland. Nothing has happened. The, the, the disadvantaged communities remain disadvantaged. Nothing has been done about that. They don't even talk about what the, where the disadvantaged communities are uh, in Northern Ireland. The Shankill and the Falls are disadvantaged. Bally Murphy, the, like the Craigan in, in Derry and other places uh, remain largely unmoved, uh, untouched by uh, the emergence of Fine, uh, Sinn Féin as a government party in Northern Ireland. Admittedly, they've been out of office for three years now or so, but when they were in office over a protracted period, there was no shift in the uh, on inequality in Northern Ireland. And why would we expect it to be different here? What do you think their ideology is then, more broadly? It's opportunist, largely, but it's, it's centrist that we think that the way we... One of the... And we presumably will reflect on this in the year 2000 and 2001 and 2002, uh, 2020 to 21, 22, uh, the 100th anniversaries, um, that what happened in that those times wasn't a revolution. It was merely a change of masters and that nothing substantially changed in our society or in the welfare of the mass of people by us, by us getting political independence. And in other words, the the freedom that was allegedly won in 1922 was illusory for the mass of people, and that's maybe the most the starkest exemplar uh, example of that is the fact that over a million people left this free state. Uh, from 1922 onwards, well over a million people left, which was some commentary on uh, on the freedom that was allegedly won for us in, in the War of Independence and all that. And also the, the politics that remained the settled consensus for most of the period since independence has been one which is happy with a a large section of the population being severely disadvantaged. And I, unfortunately, I think that Sinn Féin is of the same consensus as were the parties who have dominated the state since its foundation. Let's talk about where Fine Gael are coming from then, because they seem to be extraordinarily surprised that the electorate uh, doesn't view their decade in government in the same way that they do. And one of the curious things that I find when you hear Leo Varadkar or Owen Murphy in particular on the radio, let's say talking about housing, which has become the dominant issue um, for the election campaign along with health. And they sometimes use ideology as this slur, you know, something that belongs to somebody else, basically left-wing parties who want the state to build houses, for example. They don't appear to see their ideology um, that they are the default as opposed to um, uh, uh, thinking in a specific way. How would you characterise the contemporary Fine Gael ideology that we've seen over the last decade? Or why can't, why can't they see that they have one? Well, there is a belief, and a lot of people think, that they're ideology-free. But no matter whether we know it or not, we're full of 
all of us are full of ideology. And the test is, are you in favour of of uh, uh, increasing taxes so that we can take the vast take people out of poverty and take children out of poverty? Are we in favour of increasing taxes to provide a a free a, a free to to the users uh, health service? Are we in favour of of uh, increased taxes to house house our people, etc., etc. And although people are aghast at the state of the health service and aghast at the failure to build houses, I don't think there is a consensus to uh, to go along with the taxation that is required to remedy these. And that's because people don't argue for it. Even the left try to escape the taxation issue by claiming that taxing a few wealthy individuals will solve the problem or um, increasing corporation tax will solve the problem or whatever. That won't be done. Effectively, if we're talking about radical redistribution of wealth, you're talking about inflicting serious taxes on people earning over 70,000. And maybe it's a bit lower than that. But what's so bad about that? What's so bad, incidentally, if we were all to be paid the same? People argue against that, said nobody would get up, would get up in the morning if we were all paid the same. But but just look at people, people who get up in the morning who paid miserable wages or no wages. For instance, women who, who um, stay at home mothers they get up in the morning without, um, and work very hard all day to look after children. Nobody says, "Why do you get up? You don't. Why don't you get? Why do you get up in the morning?" Uh, because the fact is, we're incentivized by lots of things aside from financial in- incentives. Look, the most successful institution in Irish society probably is the GA, which is largely founded on voluntary work, non-paid work which gives light to the idea that the only incentive is financial in- incentive. We can have a far better society if we forget about monetary in- incentives. Maybe there's some scope for it, but certainly not the scope that's presently given to it. And just agree to a happier, more equal society where solidarity is much, ro- much more robust than it is at present. Strong agree for me on that one. <laughs> There'd be a lot of redefining success required in this uh, country for that to happen, which would be a delight if it did happen, though. Yeah, but people don't argue for it. Um, yeah. and but they're also not asked if that's something that they want. The electorate isn't asked certain things around taxation. When the electorate is asked to do radical things, they sometimes do it. Yeah, uh, for instance, in Switzerland, they have much deeper democracy than we have here. That in Switzerland, the people are asked to vote on all the major yeah. issues that crop up, and in successive 
um, not always, but again and again in Switzerland, people have voted to increase taxes or to retain taxes, which means that in a, in a society that works in term, terms of democracy, people un- get to understand that you can't have the kinds of provisions, social services, that make us a happier society without paying for it. And I feel that the pushback is always, we already pay these taxes and our services are so bad, so where is the money going? So there's a disconnect between the taxes that are already paid and the quality of our services. And if we're going to increase it, it just feels like the money's just going to go AWOL again and we're not going to get better services. So it's like there needs to be proof that our services will get better. <coughs> That's partly true. But just think of the the money that's been put into education since the na- late 1960s. And has that all been wasted? Is that all thrown away? No, it hasn't. It's been a huge success, yeah. really, in so many ways. And we can have those kinds of successes again if we... Are if willing we to pay. Are willing to, uh, to invest and pay for other public services. Brilliant. Um, if you think Sinn Féin are an opportunist party, do you think they are missing a beat with the surge for left-wing politics at the moment of not, I suppose, trying to form a coalition with the left parties? Um, like it wasn't even touted in any of the polls. The preferences of what coalitions you would like was Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil. There was no mention of a left-wing coalition. Is, is there a trick being missed I think it would be difficult to form a government um, among such disparate groups. Uh, Do you think they're that <coughs> disparate? I have another perspective yeah. on this. Okay. And it is that uh, we have there, there are a number of dysfunctionalities of our, our political system and one is to do with the TDs themselves. The first thing that is in TD's minds when they get elected is to get re-elected Pension. next time and therefore do nothing or say nothing that will endanger that and the second thing that motivates TDs is to get promotion become a junior minister or a senior minister that is if they're one of the large, in one of the larger parties and which means that under, under pain of of severe disappointment they would not dare to criticise their parties on any issue and they will defend the indefensible and it makes a nonsense of our politics so I have two proposals and we also have a situation where we appoint people as heads of huge corporations like the health service or education service or whatever we appoint amateurs, people who maybe have never run anything in their lives and who probably know nothing about the uh, the subject that, or the issues that arise from the, their portfolio. Like people go on about Owen Murphy in in uh, now I know Owen a bit. He's a clever fellow, but I don't think there are many houses he's ever stepped into that cost less than a million. That's just his background. <laughs> That's the way it is. And all has expertise in financial services and all that, but he doesn't have expertise in housing. And we wonder how it's a screw-up. Similarly, Simon Harris, who never read, read, uh, um, ran anything, uh, 
comes out almost as a schoolboy and is put, put in charge of the health service, effectively, and we wonder why it's a screw-up. So I've, I've proposed, and the proposal is that, as happens in France and I think in Italy, no TD can be a minister. Uh, and if they are appointed ministers, they have to resign uh, their seats. And secondly, that TDs um, can be elected only twice, uh, same as, say, the President mm. or uh, President of the United States, etc. Et and that means that you have people who are not desperate for their re-election, who are taking decisions on, 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 the, on, on the merits of the arguments put in front of them and are not solely concerned with getting re-elected next time. And also, you wouldn't have the nonsense of politics for TDs about getting promotion and being put in charge of things that they don't know anything about. And I think that would change the nature of politics. In other words, and that with regard to how policy would made policy which is made at the moment, policy decisions made at the moment is done by governments in secret. Now it would be done by the Dáil, and you'd have coalitions of people agreeing on some issues and maybe the same coalition, another coalition agreeing on other issues, etc. And this would, and also people would be arguing about about issues rather than arguing about silly things. And it changed the nature of our politics significantly. But I have to acknowledge this will never, ever happen because for that kind of constitutional change to occur, in the first instance, you have to get got to get the TDs who are currently elected, who want to be re-elected again and again and again because it's their careers uh, and who want to be ministers in the fullness of time they will never agree to what I've proposed, mm. so it will never happen unless we, people's minds are changed and people as a whole demand it, but that doesn't look likely to happen, but the coalitions that were, that matter really are coalitions of people who agree to to certain outcomes, and the best outcome for this election would be that we there is a minority government solely dependent on the Dáil for its survival, and that the Dáil then does what the Dáil is supposed to do: decide policy mm-hmm. and get on with it. Unfortunately, the likelihood is there will be an overall majority government, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are going to get together and the Dáil will be irrelevant and you can forget about inquiries into anything that might cause embarrassment to the government and the same old cynicism and arrogance that uh, attaches to um, majority governments will reappear and that is very likely to be the outcome of this election. Somebody who might call for these investigations is Richard Boyd Barrett and you've endorsed him. Why did you decide to endorse him? Well, I explained. He's he's been a very effective TD. He's been one of the one of the TDs, not by any means the only one, who has um, uh, held government to account and done so very effectively. I think. Uh, but there are lots of other mm. TDs who've done that too. Um, like Catherine Connolly over in Galway West. I think she's outstanding. Uh, uh, TD, and it would be great pity if she wasn't 
re-elected. Also, lots of others. Right? You, you, you could guess the ones I, I would um, nominate: Breed Smith, <laughs> of course, and Joan Collins, and in Dublin South, and ah, people all over the country. But, but if people vote for people who make a difference in the dark, instead of just sitting there as as tulips and um, so out with the careerists and in with the change makers yeah I, I mind you I respect a lot most TDs have uh, have um, uh, come to these issues with integrity I think and I think it's uh, um, unfair to describe them as uh, just being solely self-interested mm. in that um, but their politics uh, or their ideologies um, closed down their exploration of radical options. Mm. How do you think um, the media has fared during this campaign? There's always a tendency to uh, follow the horse race and not the issues. Um, how And there's a lot of shock uh, and mouths agape um, in political media land being expressed by journalists with regards to the polls and so on. How do you think it has fared um, throughout? Well, the media reflects the same ideology that that prevails generally, the same mindset. You can't increase taxes because everybody rich will leave the country and and everything will collapse. That... um, uh, the idea of the state building houses uh, is nonsense because the state can't build a children's hospital. So what do you think they'd do if they had to build the houses that, that uh, you know, the, the the mindset of the media is deeply conservative and and that's it. And, and an awful lot of the discussion in media is about rubbish about who's going to be leader of which party which who's going to be Taoiseach will it be Leo Varadkar or Michal Mar what does it matter um, about who's going to get cabinet positions what does it matter They'll certainly almost all of them would be incompetent because not because they're incompetent people but because they're asked to do things that they're not qualified to do etc etc and rarely does the media point out that we have dysfunctional political system that we have very serious social problems that there's deep inequality in our in our society the issue of inequality hardly ever gets mentioned there's another issue which hardly gets mentioned which I find just astonishing and it is uh, sex abuse um, this report the Savvy report down in 2002 and I know this how many 18 years ago now show that 200,000 women had been raped in the course of their lifetimes in this society. 200,000 women. Now, surely, once that becomes known, there is a, a response proportionate to the shock that that ought to cause. But it doesn't, there's no, nothing, no, no, none of the manifestos, as far as I know, and let me acknowledge that I haven't perused them with great uh, attention in the last while, or to, uh, with any attention in the last while. Don't think you're the only <laughs> one there. But, <laughs> um, I don't think any of them have referred to this issue of sex abuse and and domestic violence, and it is a massive problem in our society. And 
the government had to be bullied into finally agreeing to have another inquiry into the scale of this, mm. of sex abuse and violence in our society. And that will not happen for four or five years, which in itself is extraordinary that there, there isn't an, an apprehension. Let's find out how, how serious the problem is now and respond appropriately. But again, this it gets no att- traction in the media, gets no attraction in public debate, and hardly any attraction in the talk. There's another report which I have gone on about ad nauseum over the years, but it is an, a report done by the Institute of Public Health. This was an institute set up under the Good Friday Agreement, North South Institute, and it did an inquiry into mortalities here in Ireland, um, in, in both parts of Ireland, and, sh- and it found. For the for the for the Republic of Ireland, that rich people live five years longer than people at the bottom of the income bracket, uh, the income grade. In other words, five that five thousand people in the lower income bracket die prematurely every year because of the scale of inequality. Surely, like we're concerned about the number of people who die by suicide or die by road accidents or whatever. But surely we should be shocked by 5,000 people dying because of the scale of inequality we have. Again, no traction, nothing. I think only one TD has bothered referring to this in the thought. That was Liz McManus, former Labour minister. Um, I don't think any other TD has ever referred to this. And again... Where where are we? What, what's what's wrong? How Would come? I, could I be devil's advocate and say that the majority of the time, working class people don't vote as much, um, and it's all about the pe- the wanting power that they're but, not as concerned. But but surely the media. This arose from discussion with me. Surely the media ought to be going on about this and drawing attention to this and drawing attention to the fact that there isn't a mention of these problems in any of the manifestos. But on we go. Now, in talking about media, did you loll at all when the panellists, uh, even the panellists, were calling for your return after the leaders' debate with Matt Cooper and Ivan Yates? Did, I didn't, you didn't I, have a loll at all. I <laughs> didn't see it. <laughs> see you later. I, I was... Um, I was down at home in County Limerick um, uh, at a funeral uh, for that debate and I, I my brother uh, taped it and I watched 20 minutes of it and thought I, this is enough and so I <laughs> <laughs> and that was it so I, I am unaware of that uh, you were, Before um, we came on air we were talking about Sinn Féin and you said um, that my perception of Sinn Féin is, is naive, um, which is you know fair fair comment. Um, what I found interesting in writing about Sinn Féin is that um, because when you don't write hypercritically of Sinn Féin, um, people can sometimes see that analysis as an endorsement, which it isn't. It's just kind of reflecting uh, the growth, particularly amongst uh, young women, about their support for Sinn Féin. If you were moderating one of these leaders' debates, um, what would you be talking to Mary Lou Macdonald about? Uh, because apart from the the kind of grilling she got from Brian Dobson this week, um, perhaps one of the reasons that Sinn Féin has been able to continue its momentum in the polls is because they have 
been less interrogated, I suppose, by by media because of their um, thin uh, policy proposals during this campaign. Yeah. The focus on the Special Criminal Court I find amazing. Um, the Special Criminal Court uh, in, the, in the period of the came into, into operation in 1972, Desert Mali was for just the time. And I think that's, I'm pretty sure that's true. And he also introduced a, um, a law which uh, permitted the uh, uh, chief uh, chief superintendents to give evidence of whether a person was a member of an illegal organisation or not, and and it was found, and people are now saying that that should apply to um, criminals or to gang leaders. And the history of what happened to this to the special criminal court and that the Desomari initiative, I think, is worth recalling. Uh, initially that worked that a lot of people in the IRA were convicted of membership of the IRA and they were sent to prison for six months but then Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael came into office and Fianna Fáil, sorry, Fine Gael and Labour came into office in the 1973-77 government and they agreed they, they having opposed the, this, in, this business about Chief Superintendent's giving evidence and called it uh, evidence of a dictatorial state and all that stuff. Um, they decided to increase the penalty for membership for legal organisation from um, six months to five years. After which nobody was convicted because uh, up to then members of the IRA and of Sinn Féin refused to recognise the courts but they started to recognise the courts because of that. So the thing completely collapsed. And, and almost certainly the same would something of the same would happen here and, and in any event what's the point of the special criminal court it's, it's to, to ensure that juries are not intimidated mm-hmm. it's nothing to do with witnesses it's juries uh, because the witnesses apply in the special criminal court anyway but what evidence is there of juries being tampered with I don't know of any evidence at all none and nobody has said there's evidence there's widespread widespread intimidation of, of members of juries, in which case you could say, well, there, there is a need now for a special criminal court. But that's never mentioned. Mm. But, let me say, there are advantages to a special criminal court. And there, the primary advantage is that the judges in the special criminal court have to give a written judgment explaining why they find somebody guilty or not. And whereas in case of juries, of course, there's no... Juries are not asked to uh, explain why they've found somebody guilty or not guilty. But in special criminal court, this is, this is required. And which means that one can examine the reasons for, for the conviction or, uh, or the acquittal. And... Uh, in some instances, it's possible to see that the reasoning was faulty. And one of the people con- con- accused of the murder of Veronica Kieran, a guy called Paul Ward, was one of the people who went before the spe- Special Criminal Court, found guilty of this 
by the Special Criminal Court of the murder of Veronica Kern. But then it was appealed and it was found that the reasoning of the Special Criminal Court was faulty. So he got out. Whereas if he was convicted by a jury, there would be no such um, mm-hmm. release. So anyway, the, the discussion and argument about the Special Criminal Court is, is utterly devoid of any information about what the thing is about, why it's wrong, why it's a good thing, or and the possible advantages of it, or, or, or whatever. So it's a, a diversion, a big diversion from the issues. And one suspects that the reason that Fine Fall and Fine Gael are keen on diverting uh, uh, um, the discussion onto issues such as Special Criminal Court onto Sinn Féin is because they're scared of Sinn Féin's appeal otherwise. Mm. And uh, uh, but of course the diversion hasn't, hasn't so far uh, so far hasn't worked but it's a nonsense. Before you go and thank you so much for, for being in here today we really appreciate it. Predictions are a mugs game of course but what do you think is going to happen? Um just to give an example of the quality of my predictive uh, <laughs> abilities, in 2011, two people asked me, told me they were thinking of running for election and did I think they had a chance? And I told both of them, you have no chance at all. None. Lose that you're positive. You'll be disgraced, humiliated. Don't do it. Mick Wallace? <laughs> More of them was Mick Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was wrong about that. And the other was Peter Matthews. And I told Peter Matthews, not alone that would he, did he have no chance in my view, but he certainly had no chance if he canvassed <laughs> because Peter would turn off any... Uh, <laughs> 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 Peter did canvass and he still got elected. <laughs> so asking me what I think is a waste of time. I have no idea. Um, thank you so much for taking the time okay. out. We really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you.